As you're seated, please open to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to cover verse 7 this morning, one whole verse this morning, but we're going to read verses 1 through 7 just to remind us of uh, some of the context here. 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin reading verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, we pray that our, that our prayer this morning would not be hindered, but God, that you would hear us. Father, as we come to you to hear from you, Lord, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and our minds, especially for husbands this morning. And God, that we would be humbled before you to listen and to obey what you have said because it glorifies you. And God, because we want to be able to keep praying to you, and you said that our prayers will be hindered if we don't do this. So, Father, uh, we thank you for this truth and this word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work through it in our minds and hearts to change us. In Jesus' name. Well, someone um, that attends a church in the area, um, I was having a conversation with him some time ago. I asked him, why he likes going to the church that he goes to. What, what is it that he likes about it? Why does he choose to go to that church? He said that the reason is because the church doesn't ask a lot of him. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's really laid back and easy, and it's, it's, uh, it's not like a church at all. It's just kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're there, and you come, and you go, and it's, it's pretty easy. Well, we hope and we pray that as we come together to read the Word of God, that we see this Word of the Lord together, we study this, that, that you see that God has a lot to say to us, <laughs> and, and God has a lot to ask of us, and, and he's, he's a lot of times not asking, He's telling. And, um, but we want you to see that this is not me asking or telling any of us what to do. This is not Canyon Bible Church ordering everybody around. This is what the Lord has for us, His people. So, as we come to the Word this morning, we want to understand that, that this is God's Word, and this is what He has for us as we learn together and as we live this together. This is what brings Him glory. So, last week we spent quite a bit of time on verses 1 through 6 uh, for the wives, and I, I didn't realize how late it had gotten. The clock that's here was a little bit hidden, so I, we went up apparently a little bit long. You can pray for me that the Lord would teach me to be a little bit more concise <laughs> in teaching His Word as we study it together. But remember, that was one of the reasons, as we read verses 1 through 7, one of the possible reasons that the wives have six verses, where the husbands only have one, because a lot of times husbands and, and men in general can appreciate a little bit more of a concise, boiled down version of what they need to know, what they need to hear, right, without as much explanation. You've probably heard the, the stereotype that women speak more words in a day than men. I don't know if you've heard that or not. Statistics vary to back this up. Men speaking 25,000 words a day with women speaking 30,000, or um, women speaking 20,000 words a day and men speaking only 7,000. And for the more cynical, it's the women speaking 20,000 and the men saying only two words 7,000 times. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> But recently, a psychology professor from the University of Arizona connected, uh, connected some electronic devices to some men to count the number of words they said in a given time over a sampling period. And his research actually found very little difference in the number of words spoken between men and women. So the final verdict is not in. It's still debated. But men, what I want us to think about is that those studies aren't really all that important. You are not married, husbands, to a 
average, <laughs> to, to a mean, a median in a set of data. Men, you are ma- married to your own wife. That's going to be very important for us as we come to this passage. Um, but this is not going to only be applicable for husbands. Again, this will be applicable to men and women and boys and girls. Young ladies hoping to marry, this is some of what a holy husband looks like. Remember, that's the context of what we're going through is holiness and how holiness is lived out in the life of believers. And so, young ladies, this is what the man should look like that you would hope to marry. Look for a man living this out, even if he's not married yet, as well as he can. Young men, here's what you, here, here's what, uh, you should aspire to be, and here's what you can start working on now. Men who are married, current husbands, here's what you signed up for. <laughs> Whether you understood it or not or realized it or not, as we go through it, this will become clear what it was, but this is, uh, this is what God has for husbands and how He would act, have us to act and to be. Wives, here's what a godly husband looks like. This is how you can pray for your husband. So, as we come to God's Word for husbands, um, as, we, as we think about what our culture thinks of husbands, we understand that the culture sees men, and especially husbands, as lazy, disconnected, self-centered, and overall just not worth very much. But that's a stereotype that hopefully none of us can identify with. It's not a good one. It should never be accurate for the disciples of Christ, right? Um, We're learning what it's like to be set apart in holiness, what's completely different for, for Christians, for believers as husbands. So rather than culture, here's what God says. And He says, as Peter begins, He uses the word, likewise. And so Peter's continuing, again, this train of thought in the station of life of the family for husbands. Here's what holiness looks like, how to live it out. And it's all for Christ and His glory, but men, this is going to be really wife-focused. This is going to be surprising for us, maybe, um, more than we ever would have thought before, how focused on our wives this is going to be. So Peter gives us, in these verses, two important instructions and two imposing reasons to follow these instructions. Again, this is God's Word. So, the first instruction that God gives us through Peter is, number one, seek to understand your wife as you live with her. Seek to understand your wife. Uh, Literally, in the original, it is live with according to knowledge. What kind of knowledge? Well, to start with, husbands, uh, your wife is different from you. Right? (laughs) Now, I know that you know that intellectually, but how often do we miss this in our daily life, in practice, right? Okay, so some of the differences. Physiologically, there are some differences. Research abounds on this. We are more alike than we are different because we're human beings. We're created in God's image, but we are different. There are structural differences. It's well documented that males typically have proportionately more muscle mass, more bone mass, a lower percentage of body fat than women. One study said, quote, men have larger lungs, wider airways, and greater lung diffusion capacity than women, even when these values are normalized to height. So that just means that even if you had same height, male and female, the male would typically have bigger lungs. They, they can breathe more oxygen. Um, generally, that, end quote there, that, by the way, generally the male metabolism burns calories faster, much to the dismay of women who are trying to lose weight, with their husbands, right? There are brain differences. According to most studies, the male brain is typically about 10% larger than a woman's. But that has no bearing on level of intelligence. So don't let anybody (laughs) try to use that in an argument. Male brains, according to many studies, not all, again, there's so much about the brain we don't understand, but according to many studies, male brains tend to have stronger connections between the front and the back of the brain than women, which is supposed to result in a greater propensity toward motor skills and perception. Female brains, on the other hand, tend to have stronger connections between the right side and the left side, which is supposed to result in inclinations toward intuitive thinking. Okay, so there, there are some differences in the way that we're thinking. Um, there are differences in the way that we move and the way that we grow and mature. Um, even certain diseases attack men and women differently. 80% of people with osteoporosis are women. of people with an autoimmune disease are women. And so, uh, but men are one and a half times more likely to develop Parkinson's disease later in life. And nearly every kind of cancer targets men 
more than women. So there are differences in our bodies. There are differences in our physiology. There are differences in our perspectives. We move and and think and grow differently. And many try to point to those differences to try to find out which one's better, right? That's that's kind of the the idea that people want to point to when when they recognize those differences. But the point that God had in making us different was not to compete, but to complement the, the two come together, man and woman together in a marriage, and they bring unique strengths to cover for the weaknesses in the other. So, men, your wife is not like you. If you've been married for any length of time, you've probably got that figured out, right? But related to that fact, men, here's what we, here's what we may not grasp. We, we get that we're different. What we may not understand is that, men, you don't know how to live with a woman on your own. <laughs> Now, the same can be said on her own for a woman. She doesn't know how to live with a man, but the difference is that women tend to be more in tune with those differences and able to adjust and adapt for those differences. Men tend to not notice, and when they do finally notice, they start to get annoyed by the differences, right? (laughs) So the first thing that Peter says for a husband to be holy is to live with his wife in an understanding way. Literally, again, it's according to knowledge. There is knowledge that you and I don't have, husbands, and that we need. We need to be applying ourselves to learning our wives. That's what Peter says here. And that's what Peter begins with in instructing husbands for how to be holy, how to live holy in this station of life as a husband. Learn your wife. For the Lord's sake, in holiness, for His glory, who brought the two of you together in one flesh, learn your wife. Learn who she is. This knowledge is experiential, it's relational knowledge, it's getting acquainted with her, it's husband's coming to know the needs of his wife, her her desires, what excites her, what scares her. But it's not so that he can be her savior, right, because she already has a savior, and, and he's above and beyond whatever any husband could ever be in Jesus. But husbands learn our wives so that we know how to serve them better. That's the idea that Peter's going to get to. And you're going to say, wait a minute. I was here last week, and I know that wives are supposed to submit to husbands, not husbands serving their wives. But that is the instruction repeatedly in Scripture that that wives submit to their husbands. But the, the husband has been tasked with that authority to lead. But leading, as we said last week, not only has nothing to do with worthiness, like one's better than the other, that's why there's a leadership, but leadership in the Scriptures is never performed in any other way than by the example of service. That's what leadership is in the Scriptures. It's always for the benefit of the one being led. And it's always, it's never selfish, it's never domineering, it's never for the benefit of me, it's for the benefit of the one that I'm leading through that example of service. You remember in our study in Mark chapter 10 verse 45, Jesus was speaking there and He taught on leadership and greatness. He said, God incarnate, he was talking about himself, Jesus himself, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus, our perfect example and our Redeemer, but as Redeemer, he is our example as well. As our perfect example, Jesus says that we need to be serving. You say, well, he said, he said, if you want to be great, then you got to serve. I got you there, because I don't want to be great. <laughs> I don't care about being great, right? Well, that's another study for another time about how we should be living for the Lord and for His glory with everything we've got and not just sitting back. But just in case we're going we're to hold on to that, Luke makes it a little bit more clear in Luke twenty two twenty six. Jesus says there, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. You say, well, I got you again. I don't want to be a leader. But I've got you because the Scripture says, husbands, you are the leader. You have to be the leader. And the leader is the one who serves. Now, leadership is not telling everybody else what to do, right? If that's all leadership was, three-year-old girls would be the best leaders, right? <laughs> have you ever met a three-year-old girl? That's, it's, we call it bossiness, right? That's not leadership. That's just bossiness. So husbands, as the leader, you're called to serve beginning with your wife. Now, besides all this, this all applies to all of us Christians. Remember in Philippians 2, 4, Paul teaches us, let each of you look 
not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. That starts in his home. For husbands, that starts with your wife. But how can you look out for your wife's interests if you don't know what they are? See, we have to learn our wives. We've got to live with them in an understanding way, learning them, growing in our knowledge of them. 1 Corinthians 13 teaches us about true love, what true love actually is. And verse 5 says, true love does not insist on its own way. How can you refrain from insisting on your own way if you don't even know there is another way, right? We've got to learn from our wives what it is that they are about, who they are, what, what makes them tick, and, and what excites them and what scares them. So men, don't worry about studying the averages and the studies and the medians and the means and, and all of the data. <laughs> That's an easy way out. You're not married to any of that. You're, you're married to your own wife, and you can take the time. We need to take the time to, to understand our wives, our own wives. There was a man who was said to have proposed to his wife every day of their marriage. He would wake up in the morning and propose to his wife for 63 years, 23,000 times that man proposed to his wife. And your wife may be sitting there saying, wow, that's amazing. Some of you may have a wife that says, don't you dare. <laughs> that would be so irritating to, for you to do that to me every single day of my life. That was what worked for him. That's what his wife enjoyed. That's what brought her joy and showed her that he loved him, uh, that he loved her. So find out your wife. Study your wife. Live with her in an understanding way. Somebody said, quote, the cruelty that is hardest to bear is often not deliberate, but the product of sheer thoughtlessness, end quote. So husbands, we're not to be thoughtless. We're not to be uh, finding out what the median and the mean and the average is. And we're not to be finding out what works for everybody else. <laughs> we're not trying to find out what works. We're just here to live with our wives, to, sh to seek to understand, to know her. That may be surprising for many of us to learn that this is part of what it means to be a holy husband, uh, to getting to know our wives. For many men, this may seem unnecessary. And if not a waste of time, you know, there are plenty of other things that we could be doing. I mean, instead of doing all that mushy relationship stuff, I don't want to be doing any of that. i got things to do, right? But much of what we want to do pushes out what God tells us to do with our time. God gets to tell us what to do with our time, right? Well, one of the things that God tells us to do, one of the things that He expects for husbands to do is to learn our wives, to get to know our wives and to live with them in an understanding way. You say, where do you get that? Well, here in 1 Peter, uh, living with them in an understanding way, that takes time. But turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I want you to turn back there with me so you can see this and you can understand that I'm not making this up. <laughs> And uh, this, is, this is what God expects. This, this is what God plans for, for husbands to do. This is part of what we're supposed to be doing with our time. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, in, in verse 31, Paul has been talking about how some men and women don't have to get married. Why? Well, because at the end of verse 31, the present form of this world is passing away. So he says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, Paul's not saying there, this is a terrible thing. You know, when you get married, you can't serve the Lord anymore because all your time is devoted to your wife. What he's saying is that when, before you're married, you have a lot more time where you can be completely devoted to the Lord to learning about Him and what pleases Him. When you get married, what naturally is supposed to happen, what God expects us to do with our time, is to take some of that time and give it to understanding our wives. Verse 34 continues, And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. See, there's that connection again, the holiness there. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. So you see there, God expects this. This is supposed to be part of how we're spending our time, right? Um, that doesn't mean we can't do other things with our time, but this is something that we're supposed to be devoting our time for. You don't get to choose a lot of time how many hours you work. You don't get to choose um, whether you get to sleep or not. I mean, sometimes <laughs> that is decided for you by children how much sleep you get. 
but you've got to sleep, and you've got to take time to eat, and you have to take time to work. The rest of your time, God gives you for stewardship, and what He expects from you is to use some of that time to get to know your wife. There's plenty to learn. You're never going to stop learning, husbands, about your wives. This instruction is actually a present participle. Keep on doing this. You're going to keep on, keep on doing this. We are to exist as men who are learning about our wives. So rather than ignoring your wife, rather than getting annoyed because there she goes again saying that thing or thinking that or doing that, you know, those things that are different and I don't understand, rather than annoyance and rather than ignoring, seek to understand. Here's another reality that we need to grasp. God made your wife the way she is partly to keep you from being the way that you are. (laughs) Right? (laughs) God made your wife the way she is partly to keep you from staying the way you are. Okay? So it's not good for you to be alone, God said, so he brought to you your wife. And so she has a lot of wisdom, a lot of understanding in things, and uh, so we need to learn from her. Husbands need to live in an understanding way. Let's not skip over that first part, living with, living with. That means to cohabitate, but it's not simply just living, you know, we just happen to inhabit the same house. That's not what it means. That's not the extent of the meaning here. It means here to be there, to be present, to exist and live there with one another. You're not roommates with your wife, husbands. You're not, you're not independent contractors with an agreement on a, on a goal, <laughs> you know, working towards this. You're a married couple, one flesh before God. So, to live with your wife is daily life, being alive together, being present together, and, and going through life together. Living in knowledge of your wife is knowledge of her in every way. Um, in fact, one of the, one of the uh, senses of this word includes intimacy, Knowing her inside and out, from intimacy to public, any way and every way, in the words of the Bernstein Bears book, inside, outside, upside down, <laughs> right? In every way, we, we know one another. Now, there's an important side note that I want to point out here. It's not the main point of the passage here, but the word wives is not in the original Greek. The context is very clearly husbands. He's addressing husbands, and he's talking to them in relation to their wives, or they wouldn't be husbands, right? But notice that it is the husband and the wife who cohabitate, who live together, who know one another, who are learning one another intimately and closely. The Word of God does not recognize two people living together, sleeping together, who are not married. Okay? So it's the husband and the wife who live together and who get to know one another. Again, that's not the main point of the passage, but it's a very clear understanding that we need to recognize. It's no cultural uh, pressures and, and no um, convenient uh, excuses <laughs> can, can excuse us uh, from understanding what God has for marriage. A man and a woman living together and sleeping together are married. Biblically, that's what God has in mind. So, husbands, Again, back to the main point here. Husbands, seek to understand your wife as you live with her. There's another instruction for husbands. Number two, show honor to the weaker vessel. Show honor to the weaker vessel. Now, let's unpack this because um, how many of you know that this is a verse (laughs) that can be very uh, troubling for a lot of people? Um, This is a very highly and commonly misunderstood verse. Um, And hopefully it won't be for you when we get through understanding this part of it. The word for vessel here. The word vessel is a word that means instrument or an object. It's a utensil or a container. So right off the bat, people are, see, (laughs) the Bible says women are objects, right? That's what people do. They jump right off into that. That's, look, see, she's just an object. She's, and a weak one at that, right? That's what the Bible's teaching. So if we start talking about, well, you're honoring this, this weaker object, it doesn't matter how much honoring, it's still an object, it's still a thing, and it's still weak, right? So let's start with this word vessel. Vessel in the New Testament is often used not just of objects, things, inanimate objects, but of the body. You remember um, a few years ago, we went through 1 Thessalonians 4.4. 4. And we found out that part of the will of God for our life, the main point of our life is to grow in holiness 
And he says there, the will of God for our life is revealed to be our sanctification, our holiness, specifically in the context of that each of us would know how to control his own body or vessel in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust. So you see that the word vessel is used for all of us, uh, men and women, that we're growing in sanctification, we're learning how to control this vessel, this body that we have. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 talks about the, the greatness of the gospel, the, the special gospel of Jesus Christ that we hold in ourselves, this powerful and amazing gospel that we hold in ourselves as jars of clay. That word jar is the word vessel. Um, we are vessels of clay. Every one of us, male, female, men and women are vessels. Um, why are, do we hold that powerful gospel in jars of clay? Well, because it shows the surpassing power that belongs to God and not to us, right? So, vessel refers to our bodies, our physical part. Notice here also that the comparison is between husbands and wives. The wives are called a vessel. It was a weaker one than the vessel of men. So, it's not degrading. It's not meant to be derogatory or demeaning toward women to call them a vessel. It's not meant to be a thing. It's talking about our bodies. Well, so, if the word vessel isn't meant to be offensive, well, certainly the word weaker is unavoidably so, right? That, that's what we're going to jump into. But let's take a minute and look at this also. One of the mistakes that I think that is made too often by people translating this is letting their pride get involved a little bit. And here's what I mean. When people read this verse, women are the weaker vessel, what they're assuming is that it's saying that the men are the strong vessel and the women are the weaker vessel. And that's a little bit of pride. I, I don't think that's a premise that can be supported scripturally, that men are this strong vessel and women are this weak vessel. As we said, all of us, men and women, hold the gospel, and when we believe in Jesus Christ, we hold the powerful gospel in a jar of clay, just a, a clay vessel. Not one of us has strength that is of any consequence spiritually or eternally, okay? So, so Peter is not saying, um, you know, the strong vessel of men compared to the really weak vessel of women. That, that's not what he's saying. In fact, um, Jesus told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness, right? So Peter's not saying that women are weak and men are strong, only that of the two weak vessels, <laughs> because that's what we are before God. We are weak before Him. The woman in the marriage relationship is the weaker vessel. Um, but as we saw, this word vessel is referring to our physical body. That's what the word vessel is talking about and referring to. We've already talked about some of the ways that the woman's body typically is built differently than the men's body, right? We already know this in a general sense. When my wife needs the jar of pickles opened, she asks me to do it, right? She doesn't need the jar of pickles opened ever because she doesn't like pickles. But if she ever did, <laughs> I would be happy to, un to open the jar of pickles. Um, Peter is speaking here of her vessel, the, her body that is weaker. Generally speaking, that holds true, unless you're married to a bodybuilder, which is okay. That's not something that's unbiblical. That's not wrong, right? But if you were to take a man and a woman of similar physical fitness, normally the man will be able to overpower or outrun or outlast or whatever the woman physically. I mean, look at the Olympics that are on right now. They're happening right now. How are the events divided? They have men's events and they have the women's events, right? Why? Because it's not fair to have a woman compete against a man in that sense, physically. So the word weaker here does not refer again to dignity. It doesn't refer to her worth. It doesn't refer to a level of intelligence. It's, it's not any of those things. It is physically, biblically, this is the world of male-female. <laughs> it's not culturally our world, the, the culture that we're living in, the world that we're living in is, is trying to challenge those distinctions, and it's not working out very well. But Peter calls this out specifically by this word woman. We said the word wife wasn't in the original, but the word woman there is. But it's not the regular word for woman. It's actually the word the feminine one. It, it's the, the feminine one. It's natural. It's good for the wife to be the feminine one and for the husband to be the masculine one. <laughs> okay, so two notes here. Again, the, these two notes are not part of the main part of the passage, the reason that they're here, but they're important notes that we need to make. Men, first note, 
don't try to stop being a man. That's something that's pushed in our culture. Stop being man. Stop being masculine, right? God made you to be physically stronger and to be masculine. It's not disgusting. It's not inappropriate. It's not wrong. Now, it is, in a, in, it is wrong to be inappropriate, to be immature, and to be disgusting, right? You have 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 in your notes to warn you against those kinds of things. You know, don't be rude and disrespectful. That's not what masculine is. That's not what biblical masculinity is. But that's okay to be masculine. Women, it's okay for women to be feminine, right? Uh, that doesn't mean that a, a woman who is feminine is not strong or intelligent or whatever. It just means that this is the world of, of gender in the Bible, that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. So that's one note. The other note is that, again, in a marriage, there is a stronger one and a feminine one, right? A masculine one and a feminine one. There are not two masculine ones. There are not two feminine ones. In this passage here, there, there is a stronger one and a weaker one. And it's not defined by their preferred identity or their preference, but by his design. And this is not spoken in anger. This is not, this is not taught because of a, a grudge that we hold against anyone. This is just God's plan. It was his plan from the beginning. So back to the main point, weaker vessel. <laughs> in our bodies, in our physical vessels, she is weaker. Now, I believe this physical weakness does include within her physical body not just strength and lung capacity and all that, but the, the capacity for emotion. Right? Again, speaking in general terms, the feminine one, the woman, uh, generally, is more prone to emotions and being controlled by emotions. Emotion is part of our physical existence. And there's a strong connection between emotion and physiology. Emotion elicits the, the physical responses. I mean, your heart rate, your blood flow, your perspiration, you know, your blushing and turning pale and all those things. Um, that's part of our physical existence. So a woman can be, in that sense, weaker than her husband, though husbands need to have an understanding as we get to know our wives that that propensity for emotion can also be a great strength that men aren't as prone to having. Uh, you know, we, we, we tend to be a little colder and more calculating in, in thinking men, and so that, that emotion can be a great strength that as you learn your wife, you need to understand and grow in. So weaker vessel can refer to emotions being a controlling influence that's more often a danger for a wife than a husband. So, so these words here, weaker vessel, should not be a stumbling block of offense to us. It, it shouldn't offend and, and degrade women and elevate men. It's a recognition just of God's order, just the way He created us to be different. Now there's a final consideration for us in relation to this meaning. If there is any other sense that's not physical for what this could mean, it would have to be in her, in her position as being submissive to her husband. Okay, submitting to her husband, again, arranging herself under the authority, the headship of her husband. Wives, when you submit to your husband, when you live that way, striving for holiness and wanting to honor your Lord, you are making yourself vulnerable to sin and to hurt by your husband. Again, your husband will never earn that position of being in the place of authority, he, and he will at times take advantage of that position to his own shame. It's perfectly acceptable for a wife to let him know in love when he's doing that, rather than just living that way and harboring resentment and, and bitterness, okay? <clears throat> but know that when you arrange yourself this way, you are vulnerable to being hurt by him, but your trust, remember your hope, is in the Lord, not in him. So if you place your trust, if you place your hope, your faith in your husband, you will be let down, right? Because he's human. Your heart and your spirit, which are very precious to God when you're living the way that he calls us to live, he's the only one who deserves our trust and our hope and our faith, only in him. Nowhere in all of Scripture are you commanded to place your trust in any person. You're never commanded to trust or hope in any person but the Lord. But men, that's part of the knowledge that we need to have. If she is physically weaker, 
if she's emotionally more prone to, to strong emotion, if, if she's called by Jesus to submit to you and to be in that place where she places herself in a weaker position, we need to understand that, but what do we do with that knowledge? Do we take that knowledge and begin to walk all over her? Do you take that knowledge and begin to abuse her or take advantage of her? Do you sit back and watch TV while she's making dinner after working all day and taking care of the kids and doing her laundry and, do, do, you know, everything else? You just sit back because, well, I'm the one that's in charge. <laughs> no, the instruction, again, in the present participle form is to be a man who continually shows her honor, continually honoring her, rather than seeing physical weakness as an opportunity to get a leg up, Rather than, you know, using your comparatively stronger vessel to, to get one over on her, you're honoring. You're honoring her. It's important to see that this is a good translation, showing honor. But it doesn't really do all of that much justice to this. It's a single word that helps us. But showing here, men, understand showing honor doesn't mean making a show of something. It doesn't mean well, I'll show her honor and it's outward only. The word itself means assigning, apportioning, setting aside honor and, and living that. Okay, so as with all biblical commands, it starts in the heart and works out. So what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to honor? Well, it's, it's more than just respect. It's more than just respect because, you know, when you respect somebody, you can do it from afar. You don't have to know them. <laughs> and, and you can show respect, say, sir or ma'am or whatever. But this kind of honoring is talking about the value, it's the price, the worth, or the merit of something. It means you're recognizing her value, her dignity, and her worth to God and to you. So you're honoring her. She is precious. What does it look like for you to show honor to your wife? Well, will it look like affirming her publicly and privately, affirming her and telling her what she means to you. It will look like service that we talked about, seeing to her interests before your own, looking out for, for her ways and, and, and learning from her, learning from her what makes her tick and, and what she has to offer, what she brings in her wisdom and the experience that she has. You know, she brings a perspective that you don't have. If she didn't, God wouldn't need the two of you together. He wouldn't bring the two of you together if you were exactly the same, right? There's no reason to have two people together who are the same. The way God made women to think and see things is a blessing to their husbands because they, again, husbands can be prone to tunnel vision. You know, we can see things a certain way and, and miss a lot of the wife's perspective. So don't dismiss her, don't put her down, don't ignore her when you recognize that there are differences. Men, how highly do you value your wife? What is it that earns her value in your sight? Think about, well, okay, I'm going to start listening to what the Lord says here. I'm going to show honor to my wife. What is it that will get us to do that? Is it because of what she does? You know, all the things that she does for you that, I, that you know, you don't even see that she does. Well, that, that can help. Is it the things that she does with the kids? That's good too. But what if she were to stop doing all of those things? Would you be off the hook, husbands, <laughs> to show honor to your wife? No, you wouldn't be off the hook. Just like we saw for wives, there are no conditions for wives in submitting to their husbands. There are no conditions for husbands to honor their wife. So even if she stopped doing anything, you are to honor her because God said so. It's a similar idea in 1 Corinthians 12. We won't turn there or go back to that. Um, but Paul was speaking there of Christians with different spiritual gifts. And there are some that are very public and some that are very uh, not public and, and behind the scenes. And those parts that are uh, more private, we show greater honor to. So you have that in your notes. You can study that. But, but with all this effort, you know, husbands might think, well, you know, aren't you telling us to love our wives too much? Aren't you telling us to elevate them on a pedestal a little too much? A man came to a pastor with that question. He said, Pastor, I need to confess my sin of loving my wife too much. <laughs> I'm putting her on too high of a pedestal, and, and it, it's, it's not a good thing. So the pastor asked the man, do you love your wife more than Christ loved the church? And the man said, well, I can't say that I do. <laughs> I mean, that would be arrogant to think that I love my wife more than Christ loved the church. Um, the pastor didn't have to say anything else to that man, right? 
The answer is not, well, let's love our wives less. Let's continue to grow in our love for our wives, wives growing in their love for our husbands, and let's grow in our love for Christ even more, right? So it's not, let's, well, you know, we're in danger of loving our wives too much. We're in danger of loving other people too much. No, we're in danger of not loving the Lord enough. Let's love Him more and others more and keep growing in all of that. That's the honoring that men are called to do. So those were two important instructions for men. Those are the important instructions for how we are to, to grow into holiness in seeking to understand and showing honor. But now Peter gives us two imposing reasons to help us understand why God gives us these instructions. Why is this important? What is God after? Well, the first reason here in verse 7, number one, since you are fellow heirs of the grace of life. The first reason is because since you're both fellow heirs of the grace of life. What's the basis for spending so much time trying to understand her and so much effort honoring her? If it's not what she does, because it's irrespective of that, what could deserve or earn this from your, from your wife to the husband? Is it only if she submits to you? Is it, is it only if she's growing in holiness and if she has a gentle and quiet spirit? No. Is it only if she's a Christian? No. Just as we said, again, there is no condition. Your wife will not be able to earn this. This is the reason that we do all of these things because the basis for so much time and effort is because she is a co-heir with you of the grace of life. The question is, men, what did you do to earn the right to live? <laughs> Have any of us earned the right to exist? Your life, my life is all by God's good grace. You know, contrary to that movie, that animated movie, Soul, you weren't a soul hanging around waiting for time to come down and to inhabit a body and waiting till you were worthy of that. Um, God created you and brought you down here. And since your time living here, we have not continued to earn anything from God. We, we didn't earn the right to live and we don't keep on earning any right to live. It's all by God's grace. It's His grace that gives us life and rain and sunshine and wind and, and all the things that we need to sustain life. We don't earn any of that. It's by God's grace. But He gives that same grace to your wife. You're both heirs, fellow heirs of that grace of life. So whether she ever follows Christ, whether she's ever growing in holiness, whether she ever even tries to have a gentle or quiet spirit or submit it at all, whether she does any of that, your calling, your command from God is to seek to understand, to show her honor because God made her and is alive. Because she's alive. Because you're married to her. It's effectively another way of saying what Paul says in Ephesians 5.28. He says, in the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. You're alive, she's alive. So honor, respect, get to know her. Because God has decided to be gracious to her just as he has been to you Get to know her and honor her. That's part of what it means to be a holy husband. And that's part of the reason that we would go through any of that. We are joint heirs. You know, as believers, we're joint heirs with Jesus, if Romans 8 says. We're joint heirs, Jews and Gentiles, Ephesians 3 says, but just joint heirs of the grace of life. That's a reason. So the first imposing reason that husbands need to be genuinely interested in their wives to get to know them and to honor them is because of God's grace. The second reason. Number two, so you can pray to God. The blank is just two letters, S-O. So you can pray to God. Now, this one's a little bit more in the form of a warning. It's not a threat, but a warning. Your prayers will be hindered so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hindered is, uh, is something that prevents something from happening. And the word is actually cut in. The word is cut in. Th this is... Driving on I-17 from Phoenix back up here to this Prescott, Prescott Valley, we live in Chino, but coming back up into this area on I-17, right? And you're getting up to those hills, and the trucker that's in the right lane has decided that 35 miles an hour is faster than the 25 miles an hour of the truck going in front of him, so he cuts in and stops you from going 65 miles an hour like you would want. He, he stops you from doing that, right? He impedes that. That's the word here, cut in to completely stop. God will cut in on your prayers, husbands. Isn't that, isn't that a tragic thought, men, to think that if I'm praying that my prayers go no higher than the ceiling, 
or that if I'm praying, I'm just sitting there talking to myself because God's not listening to my prayers. Would he actually do that? Would God not listen to you as you pray to him? Well, look across the page at chapter 3 here in 1 Peter, verse 12. Maybe it's on the next page in your Bible, but it's across the page on mine. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Yeah, God, God will stop listening to our prayers, husbands. Proverbs 15, 29 says, the Lord is far from the wicked. How far? Well, in contrast to the wicked, he hears the prayer of the righteous. God listens to the prayers of the righteous, but he's far from the wicked. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not wicked. I'm not that evil guy, right? I haven't killed anybody. I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I go to church. I'm I'm just not that bad. So I'm not mushy with my wife and all that relationship stuff, right? So, okay, whatever. But I'm not an evil, wicked kind of guy. Besides that, I'm tired when I get home from work. I understand all of those things that men are saying, that men are thinking, right? None of this comes naturally to any of us. But that's why you've been given a new nature in Christ Jesus. You have a new nature as a son of God by Jesus' redemption. So he works in you to change you, to want to do what he says, and he gives you the ability to do it. He gives you the strength to carry it out. God takes the relationship between a husband and a wife very seriously. You think about just our relationships with one another, just as Christians. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 23, if you come to worship and you remember that somebody has something against you, you stop worshiping and you go work that out with that other person. As, as much as it depends on you, you live at peace with everybody, right? And so you try to work that out before you even worship. How much more true would that be of our husband and a wife living together in a house? If your wife is becoming resentful or has grown completely cold because it's been such a long time since you've shown any interest in her, husbands, you have someone closer than a brother living with you because she's your wife, she's one flesh, um, you know, don't wonder if God's hearing your prayers. He says he doesn't. Don't try to come before God and worship like nothing's wrong, you know. Don't expect Him to just listen to your prayers. We need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness from the Lord and then from our wife for not caring about her, for not living with her in an understanding way, for not showing her honor. We repent and we ask forgiveness from our wife and then from the Lord and we start doing what God has wanted. You have Malachi 2 in your notes and, and that's another passage just to look at the importance that God places on the relationship between a husband and a wife and how it can come between you and God. This is a very serious consequence to have God not listen to your prayers. Uh, Prayer is commanded for Christians. It's a command by God, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, right? Praying to the Lord. We're praying to Him. We're we're presenting our requests to Him. The way that we approach God at the throne of grace to receive mercy and and grace in the time of need, Hebrews 4, 16, that's that's cut off. It's, It's stopped for husbands when we're not doing this. We need to be able to pray. And God says, you're not going to be able to pray if you're not living with your wife this way. So Peter's speaking of daily living with someone who is physically weaker, learning about her, showing her honor, recognizing her equal status with you before God. The opposite of that is refusing to obey His will, refusing God's plan, focusing only on what you can get out of it, right? What, what you can get, what she does for you, your sexual appetite, your physical appetite, you know, dishonoring her, not recognizing her, whatever. That's the wickedness that God's talking about. That's the wickedness that will cut us off from God and Him hearing our prayers. You know, I've, I've met with couples that were struggling, and, and the man would say, look, I'm, I've been praying for her that, that she would be, you know, a peaceful and quiet, that she'd have a gentle and quiet spirit. I've been praying for her, and she's not changing. But when we're praying that way, one, we're not, we're not asking to be her to be what God wants. We're asking her to be what we want, right? And then second, God's not listening to those prayers anyway, because you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. 
So it's a very serious consequence that, that God says here. It's a very serious warning we need to heed. If you can't pray, you can't grow in the Lord. And if you can't love your wife this way, then you're not going to be able to pray. You have to work on your marriage. You have to work on getting to know your wife and showing her honor. God doesn't even want you in ministry if you're not doing this. First Timothy 3, you look at the qualifications for what pastors look like. So those are the two imposing reasons for seeking to understand your wife and showing her honor. Since you're a fellow heir of God's grace of life, and because you want to be able to pray to the Lord. <laughs> we need to be able to pray to Him. We are completely dependent on Him. So our application, what do we take from this in this too fast of a study of just one single verse? Husbands, we'll start with us because that's who Peter addresses here first. Husbands, study the Word and study your wife. Do both. We need to be doing both. We need to be studying and, and studying, <laughs> learning and growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and learning our wife. Appreciate her, especially her differences, and honor her. Honor her. Don't try to make her into a man, right? She was a woman, and she's going to stay that way. Be grateful for her. Honor her. Honoring begins in the heart, and, and it works itself out so that it is shown. It's shown in service. It's all because of God's grace, and this is for the sake of your prayers. Wives, be patient with your husband. <laughs> Amen. Be patient with your husband. He has a lot to learn, as you do, but we all have a lot to learn, so be patient with him and then be grateful for him. If he's wanting to get to know you, if he's wanting to honor the Lord, then, then praise God for that and be thankful for him. Keep submitting no matter what he does. Husbands, keep honoring no matter what she does. Um, next week, we're not uh, going to continue in First Peter. We're going to take just a little bit of time to spend a little more time on husbands and wives and families. And uh, so hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the perfect example of Jesus was to suffer, but to suffer for you and for your glory. God, he was and is completely holy. He never sinned one time. He was pure and is pure. And God, in all of his serving, he never demanded his own way. God, He never served for His own benefit. God, He served you fully and completely by serving us and giving His life as a ransom for us. God, for husbands, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Lord, we didn't read that verse, but God, that, that's the same message that's here in these verses as we honor our wives. God, we lift them up and exalt them, not to the level of our Savior, but God, because that's what you desire from us. That's what you tell us to do. God, I pray that for husbands that we would honor and exalt Christ above all and then our wives even above ourselves. God, that we do that with other people as well, but that we would start with the one we're married to. Father, we thank you for the marriages that are here. God, we pray that you would strengthen the men and the women who are married. We pray for wisdom and for guidance for those who are considering marriage, for those who desire marriage one day, Father. We pray that you would guide them, that you would teach them, that you would show them what it means to be married before you, to be one flesh before you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace of life. Father, thank you even for this rain that's happening now. God, I pray that you keep us safe as we all head from, uh, head from here back home or wherever we're heading, God. I pray that you would um, teach us to love you more than anyone or anything, that we'd love others more than ourselves, God. God, that brings you glory. That's what you want from us. We praise you and thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen.